after Molly's, uh, Pastor Molly's sermon series on the upcoming strategic plan, we then started a series on the prophets. And if you have been so lucky or blessed to be at church every Sunday this summer, you'll have heard both the strategic plan and about every single major prophet in the Bible. I know you kind of open up the Bible sometimes in your pews and think, there's a, there's a lot of names back there. A guy whose name sounds like Habakkuk, Obadiah, who are these people? Well, we won't hit up all the 12 minor prophets, but you'll have gotten a couple of those and all the major prophets if you stick with us all summer. And here we hear from the prophet Ezekiel. Another couple words here. First is that the word ruach, I'm going to say ruach, ruach, is this Hebrew word that, like many languages, simultaneously means breath and spirit and wind at the same time. Same for the Greek word pneuma in the New Testament. So when you're hearing that word, remember the polyvalence, the multiplicity of uses that that word can hold as the translators make choices here. Hear the word of the Lord to you and to me today. That's a very visual story as well. So if you want to, this is a good time to close your eyes. The Lord's power overcame me, and while I was in the Lord's spirit, he led me out and set me down in the middle of a certain valley. It was full of bones. The Lord led me through them all around, and I saw that there were a great many of them on the valley floor, and they were very dry. The Lord asked me, human one, can these bones live again? And I said, Lord God, only you know. God said to me, prophesy over these bones and say to them, dry bones, hear the Lord's word. The Lord God proclaims to these bones, I'm about to put breath in you and you will live again. I will put sinews on you, place flesh on you and cover you with skin. When I put breath in you and you come to life, you will know that I am the Lord. I prophesied just as I was commanded. There was a great noise as I was prophesying, then a great quaking, and the bones came together, bone by bone. When I looked, suddenly there were sinews on them. The flesh appeared, and then they were covered over with skin, but there was still no breath in them. God said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, human one, say to the breath, the Lord God proclaims, come from the four winds, breath, breathe into these dead bodies and let them live. I prophesied just as he commanded me. When the breath entered them, they came to life and stood on their feet, an extraordinarily large company. God said to me, human one, these bones are the entire house of Israel. They say, our bones are dried up, our hope has perished, we are completely finished. So now, prophesy and say to them, the Lord God proclaims, I am opening your graves. I will raise you up from your graves, my people. I will bring you to Israel's fertile land. You will know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and raise you up from your graves, my people, I will put 
my breath in you, and you will live. I will plant you on your fertile land. You will know that I am the Lord. I have spoken, and I will do it. This is what the Lord says. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Holy One, to whom shall we go? You alone have the words of eternal life. Breathe your spirit that we may breathe again. Amen. Bone lay scattered and artifactual. Wind rode like dead branches whose tree bodies repeat the desiccation. All hope bleached and lost. Living moisture evaporated. Calcified memories of what was or seeds of what could be. Wandering shards of vessels that once thrummed with pure energy where honor and dishonor wrestled. Stripped of living water to walk the hills, needing only gravity to line the valley. It was never about the bones anyway. Rather, a glimpse of pure power, a reminder of who's in charge of restoration. Real hope lies in the source. A poem by Dempsey Calhoun. Part one, death is real. There is no Easter Sunday without Good Friday. No tomb without a crucifixion. No life without death. The Israelites knew all too well what that felt like. Imagine the sort of collective traumatic stress of slavery in Egypt. And then come later into their history, starting in 722, when the northern kingdom of Samaria is decimated by the empire of the Assyrians. Now, a century later, the power is shifted to the Babylonians. In about 605, King Nebuchadnezzar begins to rule. Ezekiel comes on the scene in the 590s, and he begins to prophesy, to tell the kings to look out, to change their ways. Yet Nebuchadnezzar's force comes in when he smells out the military alliances that are beginning to be formed between these smaller kingdoms along the Mediterranean. Nebuchadnezzar systematically destroys and exiles kingdom after kingdom. The Israelites are no exception. Tens of thousands of them are forced to go live over in Babylon. And by 586, during the book of Ezekiel, Babylon comes and destroys Jerusalem, decimates the temple, the ark, the home of the living God. It's all over for them. One of my favorite psalms recounts how the Israelites sat by the rivers and the Babylons and their captors tormented them and said, sing songs of Zion. And they say, how can we? When our homeland, our life, our soul is elsewhere, we feel done. 
We're existing here. But we're out of breath. You know what it feels like to feel out of breath, don't you? To feel death. That dry, brittle feeling of nothingness that comes not just as a result of violence or when our biological systems cease to function, but when our hope dies, when your sense of purpose withers, when our day-to-day activity loses its gusto, when our anatomy feels gray and our activity loses its zeal, when relationships lose steam. We let go of dreams, we settle. Death happens. But Americans really don't want to talk about this. We actively avoid it. Many anthropologists have written and argued that we have one of the worst relationships with death of any culture on the globe. Somewhere between only 25 and 33% of us have living wills and directive orders, which, as you know, increases the cost of health care exponentially. For generations, America has increased the average lifespan. We've spent more and more money on health care per person than any other industrialized nation. We keep things going. Gall darn it, we invented Starbucks. Death might happen. But we don't need to think about that. As is suggested in the title of the 2014 National Book Award finalist, a graphic novel about being an adult child taking care of your elderly parents, quote, can't we talk about something more pleasant? We may want to, but the prophets won't let us. Through all these prophets we are reading through and the minor prophets, God continues to speak to them to remind all of us, especially when we decided we don't want to hear about it, to talk about what's important. And so for many of us today who have kept death to the sides, not wanting to have a discussion or to look in the eye, perhaps the good news for you is that it is permissible and even theologically advisable to stay in the valley of the dry bones. When the Hebrew uses adverbs, as it rarely does, and uses words like very dry, you pay attention. They're trying to get your attention. We are called to come and pay attention to our dry bones, to sit in the valley, to examine the brittle, dusty parts of our lives, our society, our relationships, things that we'd rather hire off or outsource to someone else or to power wash. Let somebody else take care of that for me. So where are you experiencing pain, frustration, hopelessness in your life? Death happens. Part two, resurrection happens. We don't like confronting death, but we have this sort of strange and tepid relationship with resurrection. 
Now, it's fine if that happens to Jesus, and we come to Easter services and talk about that in the spring, and yay, there's flowers, and God is alive, because God's superhero powers, and I'm not. We're like Hamlet, staring at the skull of Yorick. We ask, where is the skin? Where are the sinews? Where is the life that we knew? And the irony here is I thought about this is that a resistance to death and a resistance to resurrection comes from the same source. This fixation on what we know as we know it. This inability to imagine. A determination that the impossible and the indeterminable should not be discussed until we have perfected the present reality. Too much focus on the present. Remember, the present isn't a bad thing, but too much focus on that can commend us to a poor reality, one without breath. If we only inhale, we never exhale, we die. If we never take in a breath, we also die. There's this sort of give and take here. As I've said, with death and resurrection, we don't really feel like going to either end. See, death is required, but breath is required too. In our story, God tells Ezekiel to prophesy. And these bones get sinews, but there was no life in them until God asked them and gave them what? Breath. I wanted you to breathe the word. When you, when you remember it on your lips... There's an aspiration. There's, there's something about that word that does something to you, isn't there? Just thinking about the word calms me down. In Jewish tradition, breath equaled life, period. Still to this day, when they're having their part of the abortion discussion, they say breath equals life. Because, as we said, ruach means breath or wind or spirit, that there's something moving and life-giving and sustaining that's unable to be captured and is full of animating force. The breath of God gives life because the breath of God is life. The distinction here from the prophet, and as important as you stand in your valley, and you should stay in those valley of dry bones, many of us should, but once we experience that breath, is to remember that God doesn't just do it once. God was breath. God is breath. Genesis 1 tells us that God breathed into the Adamah and created an Adam, an Adam. Here we have God breathing into this valley of dry bones and a massive multitude is formed, showing the great magnitude of the God who cries out to Israel and says, you are not done here in Babylon. Now, it is good hope for the people that God gave them this breath and this vision, this dream. But I would argue what's more important is the reality that God is breathing. God says, I will, over and over again. There are certain phrases that in Ezekiel, God really wants the people to figure out. In this paragraph, we have the use of the future tense quite a bit. 
But throughout the book of Ezekiel, God uses this phrase, they shall know that I am the Lord 70 times. If I use any phrase in a sermon 70 times, you would throw me out of here. As you should. They needed hope. They needed to know that this exile was going to end, that their captors would receive their judgment, that those who sowed weeping in the rivers of Babylon would go out with songs of joy. God wanted to remind them that I am doing a new thing. Do you not perceive it? It's a reminder to us Christians that the maturity of Christianity is not just remembering that God resurrected, but that God is resurrecting. God breathed, and God breathes now. God is bringing new life in places where you can't even see it. Do you know that? The most difficult part of the mature Christian life is remembering that reality and walking around with it. Looking at other people and remembering the breath of God lives in them, sustains them. It's the same breath that's keeping you off the ground. And in this way, remembering this, you shall know that I am the Lord, says God through Ezekiel 70 times. Remember Dempsey Calhoun's poem, the ending stanza, it was never about the bones anyway. Rather, a glimpse of pure power, a reminder of who's in charge of restoration. Because real hope lies in the source. My friends, may you face death and all its reality. And having faced it, rise up with the breath of new life and resurrection. Hear these last words from God not just to the people of Israel looking to go back home, but to you in your world. You people said, our bones are dried up. Our hope has perished. We are completely finished. So now prophesy and say to them, the Lord God proclaims, I am opening your graves. I will raise you up from your graves, my people. I will bring you to Israel's fertile land. You will know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and raise you up from your graves, my people. I will put my breath in you, and you will live. We will live. Thanks be to God. Amen.